Purple Heart Homes presents Putting the Pieces Back Together, a forum for veterans and the community to connect. Here are your hosts, veterans John Galena and Brad Borders. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, you're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together with not John Galena. I, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I guess he's off on a secret mission today. He's on another secret mission. And, of Destination course. Destination unknown. Yeah. And, and the always enthusiastic and charismatic Brad Borders. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mrs. Giggles is here. And Mrs. Giggles. Hello. And, uh, <laughs> and we got uh, good old Tim Bates, uh, our, our project manager. No name Bates. No name no, Bates. No, no name, name Bates. Bates. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah you're, a, you're enjoying us. So um, that's fantastic. We're yeah. glad everybody's here today. We're going to have a great show. We've got uh, Jim Belcher, um, who is honorary survivor of uh, the U.S. India. Indianapolis. That's a big word. I can't say it. Yeah, it was too many syllables. <laughs> for you, you, you should have said that. Yeah. Say, now, now USS everybody knows. How, Indianapolis. Yeah, if it's got more than two, uh, two yeah, syllables, right. I, yeah. I should not right. be. Uh... So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a great show, and Jim, we're glad to have you here. You know, we wanted to start the show off. We're going to do a little recap of an event that we had this weekend uh, that was huge in our community, but. Uh, I heard that No Name Bates has a has a quick story. I don't, he Brad, I don't think he does. It's, huh? Brad, Tammy, you ever sit on a, what, your own cup of coffee? I have not. I have not. I but guess it, today I, at work somebody I, I think put we their should really get into the chair the, uh, and then literally sat, <laughs> sat on it. I guess it's a new thing <laughs> now for the Marines. I don't know. Was there, a, uh, was there it a was burn an event happened this weekend? And <laughs> what was going on? Is that somebody wow. getting sued? Uh, wow. Because you remember that when yeah, McDonald's, McDonald's yeah. that, that lady pil- spilled some hot coffee and she got like $7 million. <laughs> or yeah, but I don't think she sat on it. I mean, it was still in the cup when he sat on it. He was still in the cup. Did it explode everywhere? It did. Didn't explode. <laughs> it, did, it, did, it did. It did. It smashed. It, it was a metal cup. It didn't. Did oh. smash. Um, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to tell the story or am I? That's, just, that's all I heard. That's I wasn't present. That's the story. I was. Uh, I was in uh, Matt Stevenson's office and um, yeah, uh, uh, the uh, your camera. <laughs> Sorry, I'm directing the engineer over there. Yeah, why are you directing anyone? I don't know. I'm not very bright. All I should not be directing you anyone and just You were miming for a second. You know, miming doesn't work very well on live radio. I, I went to go visit Matt Stevenson, and uh, and Matt, uh, well, I thought we were done with the story, but I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with Matt. They are. They can be uh, rather lengthy sometimes. Absolutely. And so when I was getting ready to leave, I had set my coffee cup on the chair, and he said, "Well, to make a long story short, oh, which I, yeah, I knew I was in for another uh, uh, another fifteen minutes conversation. Right. I went to go sit down, and um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> so, you sat, so what? What was the result of you sitting on your on your coffee? Let's cup? just say that brown spot on my rear end uh-huh, okay. is is right. coffee. Okay. Is coffee. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's where I always sit my coffee. It's on my chair. That's, That's right. exactly where I put yeah, it. Right. Why, why, would you? why wouldn't you put your coffee on your chair? Isn't that where it yeah. goes? Yeah. Uh, wow. yeah. I mean, there were probably tables. Yeah. You know? Plenty of tables. Hey, did we have an more. event this past weekend? Yes, we did. Yes. Yes. yes, we did. And there was coffee, sir. And there the was event. coffee. Uh, the Dapper yeah. Dapper Dean, is that right? I do not know. I was uh, out on the course. So, uh, yeah, we did yeah. have a great event yes. this weekend. Uh, it's our... A yearly cycling event that we do here at Southern Distilling to raise support for our mission at Purple Heart Homes. Uh, If you want to find out more about Purple Heart Homes, you can go to phhusa.org. And uh, but we had 140 some cyclists uh, show up. We had Joe Baker come do the workout of the day. He's affectionately known as as the finger. 
The Finger? Yeah, oh. he, his uh, F3 nickname is Finger Looking Good because he's from Corbin, Kentucky, home uh-huh. of... Kentucky Fried Kentucky, Chicken. That's where the colonel was from, right? <laughs> wow. And so that's they had a big amazing. workout of the day. Um, we had Medal of Honor recipients here uh, present with us. We had a Huey helicopter. Our friend Kevin Buxton from over in Taylorsville um, brought a, a real live Huey helicopter. Um, Ride with Pride from Daimler Chrysler. The, our, our friends over at UAW uh, brought one of their trucks out. Um, we just had uh, we had donkeys. Oh, like, yeah, the like, donkeys uh, were adorable. Don- yeah, they were fantastic. They did a great job this year. Um, we only had one incident. Well, we had two incidents, which if you can have an event with 140 cyclists crossing hundreds of miles of roads uh, and only two incidents, we had one, uh, a friend of ours, that went down at the finish line and had to have some stitches in his arm. But then we had another, our, uh, um, and as Woody said on his radio program, who will remain nameless, Fenway. Uh, <laughs> he swallowed a bee. He swallowed a bee, right? Yeah, uh, and, and he's deathly allergic he's, he's to them. A, he's allergic yeah. to them, right? He's a board member, too. And he's a board member of Purple <laughs> yeah. Heart Homes. He swallows a bee to like a mile and a half or two miles from the rest area. And he gets to the rest area. And our friend, my high school football teammate, Todd Scott, and his lovely wife, Marlene, were working that rest stop. She works in the school system, so she's used to dealing with allergic emergencies all the time. Um, they were able to evac him to the local volunteer fire department. Oh EMS showed up, EpiPenned him, saved his life. That's what I'm going with. Saved his oh, life. Saved his life. Saved, <laughs> uh, it had a life-saving event, Can't wait right? Till I see him that, next time. And uh, oh my gosh, it was fantastic, right? That his life was saved. That's right. Not That's that a- he swallowed a bee, but it just you just want to make sure that when you're riding a bike very fast Try not to ride with your mouth wide open. Right. Right. <laughs> Especially if you're allergic to bees. Right. That could have been so, really bad, too. I mean, yeah. the event would have been I mean, tar- it would have been it tarnished forever. It would have it would have been the Fenway Memorial ride. The Fenway <laughs> Memorial ride. <laughs> Speak, well, how much did the Fenway Memorial ride, I mean, take that hill, bring so, in this year? Yes. What's as of today, we had, some, uh, we had some more dollars come in today. As of today... Over eighty nine thousand oh, dollars raised. Wow. Uh, so, Holy smokes! Yeah, so uh, biggest year ever for number of participants. Biggest year ever for fundraising. Um, since we started it in twenty twenty, so this is our fourth edition. We have now raised close to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in four events over the last over the last four years. How, how many participants do you have this year? Uh, had a well with the workout of the day cyclists and then the online version we had a we had a virtual take yeah. that hill that so, uh, like close to forty rode in that um, we had almost two hundred participants total Amazing. you know so and one of the guys on the virtual event rode his bike on a virtual course a hundred and twenty five miles and did uh, one hundred and eighty five miles. And did the elevation gain of Mount Everest, twenty nine thousand feet, and it took him thirteen hours. He lives that in is Germany. Amazing. His oh. name is Falk, F A L K, and I've been conversing with him on Instagram. He's fantastic. So, That's amazing. Wow. We're like internet buddies now. <laughs> hey, uh, that that sounds like an overall just amazing success. It was. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but this is this is Brad's like basically his baby here. It's my reason world. for existing it's, in this world. So. Uh, I, <laughs> Congratulations, Brad. It was congratulations to the <laughs> veterans that are going to be recipients of those funds. How about and, and, that? and congratulations to it Purple was a great Heart event. Homes. October 5th, 2024. Mark your calendars. Come back. 
Southern Distilling is going to be awesome. We, we've got, what, about a minute before uh, break? Uh, uh, real quick, let's introduce you to our guest, uh, Jim uh, Belcher, a, a Air Force veteran and uh, son of a surviving member of the USS Indianapolis. Uh, you want to say hi and uh, just uh, tell us a little about where you're from? Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah, my name is Jim Belcher, Jr., and I'm the son of a Navy Chief Petty Officer, retired radioman. Um, Dad was aboard USS Indianapolis. I live here in Waynesboro, Virginia, where he dropped us off after he retired from the Navy in 69 and felt like he kind of banished us, you know, off the face of the earth when he brought us this far inland. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, we, I'm a Navy brat, and I, we grew up uh, all over the world. I was born at Yokosuka, Japan, so I was, a, I was actually a Japanese citizen at birth. Uh, well, we wow. can't wait to hear more about this story. We're going to jump into a break here from our awesome sponsors. We'll be back in about three minutes. Hang with us. We'll be live on Facebook. We're back from our break. You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together, and uh, our guest is Jim Belcher. We were just uh, talking about where, where he was from, and uh, what, what did we pick up where we left off, Jim? Uh, uh, you're, you're telling us uh, your dad moved you from all the way in inland. So Yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, dad's story by itself is a whole couple of episodes but he uh yeah he was uh he went in the navy in 44 got out in 46 he was on the uss indianapolis when it sank and um uh went back in in 1950 and um uh, as a recruiter promised him he would serve he could serve anywhere except japan so he decided to go back for the korean war they needed radioman, and uh, he told me seven weeks later he was standing in Japan. <laughs> that, that sounds a little hence bit. I, yeah. Hence, I went in the Air Force, not yeah. the Navy. <laughs> that may have been a good call there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw what, how they treat their guys. They just left them out there, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jim. So, can you, can you uh, tell? Then, uh, yeah, we can... uh, were in Japan for seven years. I was born in Japan. He met my mother in '52. She's Japanese. I uh, married her in 55, and I was born in 57 at Yokosuka Naval Hospital. Uh, I was a dual citizen at birth, and we came to the States when I was six months old and been back here since. I visited one time. Um, he, of course, lived on all the typical Navy bases on east, mostly on the West Coast. Again, typical Navy, 17 years or so on the West Coast, and then the last three or four on the East Coast. Uh, and that's where they left us in Norfolk. So uh, dad retired and he was a country boy from Alabama and decided we, we needed to get out of the city. So he moved us up to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Uh, I was 12. The last place in the world a 12 year old wants to mm -hmm. be is out in the middle of nowhere. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I couldn't wait until I was 18 and old enough to uh, drop out of college and go, <laughs> go in the Hey, There's a, a long story behind that, but just suffice, you know, I was a child of the early 70s, and uh, uh, Dad and I didn't see things eye to eye back then. Spe speaking of Dad, you, you mentioned your dad was a surviving member of uh, the Indianapolis. Uh, yes. Um, can, can you tell a little bit uh, to our listeners about uh, the Indianapolis, for those who, who don't know? Sure. Yeah, uh, heavy cruiser, um, uh, flagship of the 5th Fleet. Um, Admiral Spruance aboard, uh, is it 10 battle stars during World War II, but right at the tail end of its uh, Navy career in World War II, 
was at Iwo Jima, Okinawa, uh, helped shell Japan in between those two campaigns. But at Okinawa, the day before the invasion, uh, Indianapolis was hit by kamikaze. Nine died. They limped back to the States uh, under repairs. Everybody thought that they were going to be there till the end of the war. Uh, but they rushed the repairs. Uh, USS Pensacola had been designated to take a secret cargo to Tinian, which later we found out was the atomic bomb. Uh, Pensacola failed its initial trials out of the shipyard Mare Island, so Indianapolis uh, was selected. Um, they took the cargo, nobody on board, including Captain McVeigh, Charles McVeigh, even knew what they were carrying. Um, and then four days out of uh, dropping off the bomb, they were torpedoed and sunk by the I-58, a Japanese submarine. Um, wow. And because of just a, a ton of errors and a lot of laxity towards the end of the war, they were they were uh, not even missing, reported missing. And, so your dad, uh, your dad was shipboard on both incidents off Okinawa and then ferrying? No. Okay. No, he was not there in Okinawa. Uh, he got on because they pulled into Mare Island. Ah. Uh, he had just finished radio school. Okay. He had dropped out of the uh, Emory University um, uh, B-12 program as an aviator he, um, so that he could get in the war. And then they put him in radio yeah. school, and that took him almost <laughs> as long as it would have to finish up the B-12 program. So but by was... the time he got uh, out of radio school, uh, the Indianapolis was the ship they put him on. So he was riding was his first ship. <laughs> on the Indianapolis shipboard with a nuclear weapon in the cargo oh, yeah. hold. Didn't know it. Oh, yeah. It was in the, yeah, it was in the uh, port hangar. They had uh, two uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. riding yeah, around with a total right. bomb. You gotta wonder. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering. My, I mean, you know, it had to be somewhere, right? It was. I mean, those things weren't small, yeah. and no. people were no, walking no. by it, going, hey, "What's that thing uh, in the, that the box?" Uranium was uranium was up in the admiral's quarters. They they put uh, it was half the world stockpile of weapons grade uh, uranium. Oh my god. It was up in, uh, welded to the bulkhead in the cap in the uh, admiral's quarters. Just chilling in the admiral's quarters. Just yeah, wow. yeah and the big bomb casing was in the uh, port side hangar, um, and of course there were 39 Marines on the ship. Normally 29, but they took on 10 extra for this uh, secret cargo. Uh, the Marines were ordered, of course, not to let anybody near the box. But I've known the survivors going back to 1977. I've never talked to a single survivor that said he didn't go over there and touch that box. So, <laughs> good job, good job, good job Marines. Marines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I tried, yeah, I tried to get over there, but a big burly guy that didn't know a lot of English uh, stopped me. <laughs> I heard the yeah. Brad. I heard there was a lot of bribery going on. There was a lot of donuts and coffee and I'm all sure. kinds of things. Crayons, and and crayons. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we'll do just about anything yeah. for a box of Crayola. So uh, it's probably what happened. So um, when the when the ship was sunk, right? Yeah. And it's going yeah. down. Your dad's on board as the ship is sinking. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So what happened? Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously well, he made it of, off. He was getting off watch at midnight, but you know he got relieved early. So about 11:30, he went down below, and he's, his quarters were just um, on the starboard side, uh, right side of the ship, um, under the number two turret, off to the side of number two turret, um, and that's where they took the second torpedo. He had gone down there, and that night he's from Alabama, southern Alabama. He's used to heat, but he, it was so hot. He said that night that for the first time since he had been on board the ship. And only the second night the captain had given permission, uh, he decided to go up 
and sleep on deck. So he slept right next to the number two turret, and he just laid down when the second torpedo, at first and second torpedoes hit. First wow. one hit the bow and, and kind of peeled the bow up underneath the ship and op- exposed the entire ship to the sea is what it did. Um, and then the second torpedo um, uh, hit some aviation fuel that's stored right there near that area, near the number two gun turret. And uh, that, that one caused the most damage, uh, communications out and everything. So he, he rushed right into radio one, which was only about 20 feet from where he was, right behind the number two turret. Um, and uh, he was there for the eight minutes before they were ordered to abandon ship and 12 minutes before the ship was completely gone. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Did you say 12 yeah. minutes? It only took 12 it was minutes. Under, it was sunk in 12 minutes. It was minutes. gone in 12 minutes. Oh, oh my ship. gosh. 610 feet, uh, 1195 crew. Wow. wow. And, and so, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were there was loss of life. I mean. Oh we, yeah, they, uh, we think, uh, you know, there was no exact number. We think about 300 went down with the ship and are still there. Oh my. Uh, and then in the ensuing uh, four and a half to five days, uh, we lost another 600. So oh, they lost, wow. um, uh, the total was 879 lost at sea. Greatest loss of life in the history of the United States Navy by a ship at sea. Wow. Um, and only eclipsed by uh, uh, by the Arizona, which was tied up in pier. Right, right. Um, yeah, and and we actually recognize these two ships, the Arizona and the Indianapolis, as the bookends of the war. Um, you know, in, sure. of course, Arizona yeah. first, and Indianapolis. And Air, and Indianapolis was actually assigned to Pearl Harbor on December seventh, but was ah. just happened to be out at the Marshall Islands that day. So did the special cargo go to the bottom of the sea it too the way back. well it, no no it, they it, it, way back. it had already made its way onto okay. the enola gate right okay. right got yeah it. and they dropped it off and then they were hit they came back to guam and they got orders to go to proceed to leyte to prepare for the invasion of japan everybody thought we were sure. going to invade japan and even the crew was yeah. convinced that you know they were going to get stuck in the middle of this invasion which was going to predicted to be horrible and and i hear that from both sides because my mother being japanese uh, and my uncle, <laughs> the irony of this whole story, my <laughs> uncle was in the Imperial Japanese Army, my mother's brother, while dad was in the U.S. Yeah. Navy. So I've, I've heard the story from both sides. Oh, um, yeah. And my grandfather was at Nagasaki when the second bomb was dropped. Dad oh, my helped God. Dad helped for the first bomb. So consequently, I get I get to speak a lot about <laughs> in public about World War II, the end of World War II especially. And, uh, yeah, you and, have I'm, a... and I'm fortunate that I got the stories from equally from both sides i think i got a fair and balanced story that's unbelievable um so your dad how did uh i mean i'm guessing they had a lot of escort ships and so when everybody bailed out and they're in the ocean they they had a recovery mission going on from the other ships that were in the area no no there was no escort uh from guam to leyte um uh, the captain uh it was brought up uh, that normally a ship was escorted there's a technicality in the discussion in the records as to whether captain mcveigh actually formally uh, requested an escort but there's transcripts and and uh, lots lots of testimony that the the talk of escorts was brought up um, by the guy that was assigning their their route and and so on and he was basically told he didn't need an escort because um uh, the waters going south or going west i guess were there's yeah. nothing out it's, there it'll be fine yeah it'll be fine yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nothing completely out there. okay but we, did, but we did it was 25 years later when you know a lot of the um um ultra communications that we had uh, already broken and were able to read a lot yeah. of japanese transmissions 
Um, it was 25 years later when it became clear to us, the Indianapolis families, that um, the Navy might have withheld a little bit of information yeah, there right. because, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they knew that there were four operational Japanese submarines in that vicinity. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I see. We're, we're and they got a radio transmission from the I-58 right after it sank the Indianapolis saying, hey, we just sank yeah, the we battleship. Just, yeah, that's right. Hey, so we're coming yeah. up on a break. I want to pause right there. Uh, you're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together. We have a fascinating story about the USS Indianapolis. Uh, and we're going to come back here in just a few minutes, and we're going to hear more of this. You're listening to WSIC News Talk Now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, welcome back to was... Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. You can find out more about us at phhusa.org. And Mrs. Giggles is having a fit over here. It's outstanding, and it is one of our favorite times of the week. It is the Project of the Week with 10 no-name baits here on WSIC News Talk Now. You're so good at this. The Project of the Week. Uh, it's a Mr. Jimmy Ward. He's an 83-year-old uh, Army veteran, served in, from 1955 to 58 in the Korean War. Um, he's in desperate need of a roof. He lived in the house. Him and his wife had lived in the house, I guess, close to 40 years. They'd done repairs on the roof as it went over the years, but as he got older, it was harder for him to do it. Insurance wouldn't cover it. Um, I was able to have a – and he's in uh, Wellington, Ohio. And I have a contractor out that way that's closer to Cleveland. It's about an hour and 10 minutes away. TLC Roofing and Restoration, I called them. And they're in Telmage, Ohio. Called them and asked them if they'd be willing to go out there and look at it. And he mentioned OC, Owens Corning, as we have a partnership with Owens mm -hmm. Corning. And sometimes our difficulty with... So background Owens Corning is they provide the materials. And if they got a premier contractor in the area that's willing to do it, they'll do the labor for us. Yeah. And so... Uh, this contractor we've worked with before was willing to do an hour and ten minutes away, and he's willing to do it. So we've got oh, his wow. roof on. Called uh, the wife, is, her name's Sharon, and uh, she was just crying on the phone. No. She was so excited. Yeah. They had uh, it, it had been leaking, and again, back to TLC rest restoration, he drove out there without, they don't have the funding, or they don't have the approval yet, not like that, but he drove all the way out there and, and helped or put a tarp on the roof so it would stop oh, leaking yeah. until they got so done. So it stopped leaking, stopped yeah. causing the damage. It was yeah. Like Amazing stuff. That's just one of the contractors we have that do, you know, help out. This story happens daily with our project manager, with Tim, Lamar, uh, Devin, um, Matt, our whole crew. Daily they're talking to veterans that we've, we have literally been able to mobilize resources to solve a problem that they couldn't solve. And, and so for those, that, for those that get behind us and donate either with material or with, with you know, financial resources, uh, we want you to know that that's the kind of story that we're creating. You're helping us create stories like that where people get are like, we're so thankful. I could take about the whole hour on just yeah. current projects I got right now with with assistance from whether it be monetary uh, help or if it's contractors yeah. or, you know, businesses. That's why we stuff. do what we do, man. Oh, man, that's, I love that's it. That's why. That's mm -hmm. the why. And, yeah, and at the end of the day. You mentioned that Owens Corning uh, did this, uh, helped us out with this project. I don't know if uh, our listeners are aware, but they have done 475 projects uh, for, for people. 475 roofs since they started the roof deployment project. In, in, uh, yeah, in 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of those 475, 
147 of them were referred by Purple Heart Homes that's amazing. in our project that's managers. A, that is a bunch of roofs, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that a, a, bunch a of lot roofs. of veterans. That's a lot of that's veterans. a lot of veterans. That's a lot of not leaking houses. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, thank you to like Owens to Corning and, uh, and and thank you uh, Tim Bates. Yeah. For, thank you, Timmy. You know, no 23 name. years ago today, the USS Cole was by. Uh, it is. It is. I can't believe it slipped up on me, man. Uh, so. I uh, have a connection. The reason I joined, part of the reason I joined the army is because of USS Cole. Okay. Uh, so I was a football coach in uh, at West Rowan over in Rowan County. Um, we had a really young stud linebacker named James Francis. His sister was on that ship. And she was killed. Oh no. Mm. And their church was too small to hold the memorial service. I was not in the military at the time, and um, so our church lent our sanctuary to have her memorial service. And I met uh, at that service. I met. A Navy chaplain and I was like tell me what you do and so that was 1999 right and uh, of course two years later 9-11 happened and you know for me the rest is history and 20 years later here I am at the end of it so um, is a is a powerful powerful day for all of us we had a football game the next day and James Francis had 22 tackles oh, in yeah. that game we played the Concord spiders right after his sister right after his sister died and he, he wow. said I'm playing and uh, it, was, wow. it was amazing, man. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, you had some questions for Jim. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. I, I, one of my questions is, uh, what ship ended up rescuing your dad? You said they're out there for, you know, how long were they out there before the ship showed up? Day, four days and five nights. Wow. Floating oh, in the water. Four days and five nights. And that's where the, the, the other, you said a lot died while they were waiting for the ship to show up, correct? Uh, yeah, we we lost about 600 in the water. And, you know, in Jaws, it was mentioned um, by Captain Quint uh, that he was supposedly on the Indianapolis. Oh, uh, yes. You remember, remember that, that monologue yeah. he did? And that was supposedly his motivation for hating sharks. But the shark attacks were really, my dad said it. He said, you know, it was nothing you could do about the sharks. Uh, that was the least of their worries. Um, the- he had, they had no food or water, and they had uh, a lot of injuries in the mm. water. Yeah. Wow. Were they getting uh, you know, were they getting strafed by Japanese aircraft at all? No, no, okay. no. The Japanese were not out there. They were, uh, <laughs> gosh, they were two, two, a day and a half out of uh, Guam and almost two days out of um, their destination, Leyte. So they were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm. All right. Wow. Uh, tell us about the book. I, I see a book, oh. Benya. There's a tower and, and of them. To answer your question, I'm sorry, the USS Ringness, uh, APD 100, uh, picked up my father. It was uh, a fast transport. It was perfect for, for recovery because they had four uh, LCVPs aboard. <clears throat> they were able to put three in the water um, in the dark and pick up, um, uh, they picked up 39. Uh, the Bassett and the Doyle picked up the bulk of the rest and then a seaplane actually landed on the ocean against orders and picked up huh. over 50. <laughs> wow how many times does that happen where, where people were rescued, rescued yeah. because uh the, their commanding officer said no and then they're just like yeah you're not here yeah, yeah. <laughs> right well you know to land a pvy in eight foot swells uh the the crew story goes the crew actually took uh took a vote they flew it circled around it was going to be dark in about two hours and mm. they didn't think what they were seeing in the water uh, sharks were attacking men in the water and they didn't and keep in mind at this point they're circling around they don't know these are americans uh this is this part really? of the story that i just love mm-hmm. is this is american sailors in a pby uh circling after the guys have been spotted by by a pv1 ventura and 
they're circling and their orders are just just maintain the position keep reporting uh and they saw the shark attacks and they figured after dark these guys were were not going to make it so they decided on their own they took a vote the story goes on the plane and every man on the plane voted based on what they were seeing going on in the water to put mm. the plane down in eight foot swells That's oh, okay. wow wow they could, they could all die that? probably should have all died mm. yeah. just trying to land I mean, I'm trying to figure out how you do that. Do you line up with the, the way that the waves are going? Right? Yeah, try I think to they went, surf one of them or yeah. something. I think yeah. they went parallel to the waves and uh, and tried to get in between the swells. Wow. wow. That's just, that's insane. And you got to take back off of that thing. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. They had 50-some they had men on the plane. They they took the guys, once they filled up the fuselage, they took them up on the wing and, and they wrapped them in parachute material and then tied them with cord and tied them to each other so they wouldn't roll off the wing. Oh and then when they got the first row of wow. guys on the wing, they started stacking them like cordwood. Oh that, my that would violate oh every risk assessment. <laughs> hey, I, that, there it is. Sharks, man. Would you rather <laughs> fight the sharks or be tied sharks to the plane? I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to think about today's the military the, doing that. The guys on the wing probably voted not to take off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'll take the sharks. You know, there's, there's one awesome story about the guys on the wing, and this I want to share this. Uh, they had not had water for four, four and a half days. Um, when they took a little cup of water and handed it to the first guy up on the wing, those guys passed that water all the way down to the last guy, and not oh one guy gosh. took a sip. Oh, oh wow. wow. And, uh, I tear up when I think about that. Wow. Yeah, no That's Holy amazing. God. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Is hey, there any, any yeah, remaining survivors to break? Yeah, yeah, we got two minutes to break. But one more question yeah. before we go to break: Is there any remaining survivors? Yes, now? Harold Bray, uh, Benicia, California. He's uh, he lives ironically about 15 minutes from Mare Island, where they departed yeah. from, and that was his first cruise. Also, he joined the Navy at 17. Wow, wow. that so out of all incredible. that, there's still one guy still one, alive. One guy. That yeah, we had 316 guy. original survivors. Uh, Man, incredible. I bet the reunions were something. So, uh, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get back to that. We've got about 30 seconds left before break. You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together. You're listening to Jim Belcher. His dad was a survivor of the uh, USS Indianapolis being sunk in World War II. It's an amazing story. Uh, if you've missed some of this, you can go back and check it out on uh, WSIC's Facebook page. That is WSIC News Talk Now. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together with Jim Belcher, uh, the son of a surviving member of the Indianapolis and Air Force veteran. Um, well, we are, are back, and if you were not listening to our uh, Facebook uh, during the break, you need to hear about the turkey drop, and uh, and Brad had a Andy Griffin story in one of those other ones. So Andy go, Griffin? Yeah, Wait, time yeah, out. Yeah. Time <laughs> out. Bro, I don't know who Andy Griffin is. He's like some football player or something. But if, oh you, talk, if you mean Andy Griffith... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to I'm glad to speak to it, but I don't know who Andy Griffin is. Listen, I, you know I've seen all these shows on classic television. He's I, just a baby. I saw them on actual television. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, we so, have a wonderful. Well, what, what were you going to say? Were you going to say something? 
Oh, I'm not very bright. I don't know. No, remember. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, anyhow. Hey, just go back and listen to it uh, wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube uh, and uh, Facebook. If, uh, check yeah, out you can stories. go back on WSIC's Facebook page. That's WSIC News Talk Now. All right. That's um, another $18 for me, Justin. All right. Um, we had a we we had we are listening to Jim Belcher. He's our guest today. He's joined us from from Virginia. Uh, his dad was a survivor of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis in World War II. Uh, we've been talking about this incredible story about his dad spent days mm-hmm. and days in the water. They got picked up by an airplane and people were were duct taped to a wing of a of a seaplane to get them out of there. It's an absolutely incredible story. And so um, Jim and Jim's on screen with us, and behind him there's these books. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, that's that you've got there sure sure yeah there's two different books here I, I just happen to be gra- gathering them because we've got a program next week uh, up here in the valley uh, the book Indianapolis was written by Sarah Vladek uh, and Lynn Vincent and it was a bestseller New York Times bestseller it's about the Indianapolis the sinking and it's the most up-to-date book probably about the story uh, a lot of declassified information oh. and such um, in Harm's Way was written by Doug Stanton, who also wrote uh, Horse Soldiers. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yep. the movie, really? Yep. Uh, uh, 12 Strong. Yeah, Doug Doug was uh, started, got his teeth into this story way back in uh, the 1990s and interviewed a bunch of the survivors. Uh, what he did wonderful in this story uh, that I, I love is um, he interviewed and talked to a lot of medical people who then um, uh, explained to all of us families just what was going on in the water for these guys as they were trying to survive um, facing exposure and uh, salt water ingestion and uh, wounds and, and uh, of course, the shark attacks uh, and the psychology and the physiology behind what happens to a, a man in the water hmm. uh, under those circumstances. And that helped explain for our, our survivors who had carried this burden of guilt for years um, why they did some of the things they did in the water and why some of the things that they weren't sure actually happened, semi-dream state things may have happened and may not have happened. And um, Doug, Doug brought tremendous relief to our survivors just by writing that book. So these wow. are two that books that amazing. we treasure. So wow. those are called, the, the, uh, say the names of the books again so that folks can uh, go look those okay. up. Yeah, In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton and Indianapolis uh, by Sarah Vladek and Lynn Vincent. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, you mentioned uh, the guilt that they experienced. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, akin, I'm guessing it was akin to what we are dealing yes. with, with uh, you know, our Iraq, Afghanistan veterans and survivor's guilt. Uh, yeah, I can only parallels. imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, I, I like and I, I have this saying when I'm talking to young people in schools about what's going on today because they always try to understand war and, you know, what we're doing today versus history. And I tell them, I said, you know, uh, uh, think of Jaws, the movie Jaws. I said, uh, back in World War II, you put the guys in harm's way and then they came back and they did an R&R for a couple of weeks and then they went back out and fought some more. I said, today we put the guys in harm's way. Uh, we put them, you know, in the, sh- in the water like mm. jaws and mm. they're there for a year mm. and yeah, uh that's yeah. true and and the psychology of what that does to a man and then to do repeated tours my uncle uh my dad's two brothers were retired navy as well and they were all uh, uh vietnam veterans all three of them in country and um my youngest uh uncle committed suicide 
Uh, well, drank himself to death. It's a form of committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the seventies, following two tours, two tours in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even imagine what these young men today. I, I you, you got to nobody that wasn't there can imagine what these guys they're doing. Four, five, six, seven tours. I, yeah, uh, and I'll, that does to a man. I'll echo that. I served in a unit that had I have friends that did fourteen deployments. Yeah, and and I I just, you know, you don't want to criticize too much, but you you have to look at the guys, the powers that be that put allow us to put people in harm's way like that. You know, to have to be so shorthanded that we have to rotate that many times Mm -hmm. through uh, is just it's unconscionable what's going on with our leadership right now. Yeah, and I served, and uh, I served and got out just as our hostages were being released. Uh, from Iran, yeah, and, uh, wow. and we thought we were going to war then. Yeah, well, here we go again. Uh, yeah. I know. For those that are watching History. current events and um, things are not itself. looking great uh, uh, across the pond. And so, no, and I worry. I worry more. Look that. over your shoulder. You know, somebody yeah. said to me, "Oh, the superpowers are going to start a World War III," and I said, "No, it's not going to be that way." I said, "No war we've ever fought in started where we thought it was going to start. Yeah, it starts true. in some that's off true. the wall corner." Yeah. I said, look behind us. Taiwan's right behind us. Yeah. Mm. Look yeah. over there. You better stop staring, you know, in the med because yeah. there's stuff going on everywhere else. Yeah. Hey, um, we've got a few minutes before that. we got five yeah. minutes before the end of the show, and I'm desperately okay. interested in to hear the story about your, your dad and your mom. Sure. Uh, and I think our listeners will be intrigued by that. Can you share a little bit about that? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, dad and mom met when dad was uh, uh, stationed in Japan. For, uh, for the Korean War, and he was going in and out of uh, uh, Korea on the USS Estero, a small cargo ship, um, that, and he was a lead radio man on the ship. And uh, so he met her in 52, and um, you can imagine what that uh, uh, greeting was like as far as him being introduced to my mom's family in Japan. Oh, her yeah, I mean, uh... Yeah, with an uncle that had served in World War II, mostly in China. In the Imperial Army, and then uh, my grandfather having survived the uh, bombing of uh, Nagasaki, so uh, he got past that wall because he actually loved fishing, hunting, uh, fishing, uh, woodworking, and gardening, and that was the things that my uncle especially loved. Uh, so the two of them bonded; they became best friends. Believe it or not, that's amazing. Uh, you you go across dad, the world, and they they love the same things, and and you can yeah, make those and bonds. And then Dad got ingratiated with my. Uh, Oh, Bachan, my grandmother, uh, because he was the son-in-law that paid the most attention to her in Japanese mm-hmm. society. You know, men are a little bit higher in society tier, and um, dad was just an American who wanted to respect his mother-in-law. And, oh. uh, just tremendous uh, cultural um, barriers that got smashed by my mom and dad. And mom, the same thing. She came home here to to the United States in 57, mm-hmm. had to meet my dad's family. And in the little town they're from in Abbeville, Alabama, uh, one of the sail, there were only two sailors from that town, Abbeville, that were on the Indianapolis. The other did not survive. So you can imagine what mm-hmm. it was like oh, for dad bringing a Japanese bride home yeah. uh, after the war. Uh, yeah, in that little community. So, you know, my mom put up with a lot of things. I grew up seeing a lot of the prejudices that this country held 
early on. When I was little, we looked like me and my brothers. I'm the oldest of three. We looked like three little kamikaze pilots. <laughs> <laughs> and we got treated and we got treated that way. But but you know, we grew out of I always said when I hit six foot tall, nobody could tell I was Japanese anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> And when I went in the Air Force in uh, in 76, um, because of my security clearance, they made me renounce my Japanese citizenship, which, you know, was no loss to me because I, I couldn't speak or write or read Japanese. It was right. one of the things my dad said might not be a good thing to, you know, be associated with in the early 60s. Did your brother serve as well? Did, did your brother serve? I'm the only well? one. Okay. Uh, my brother Bill brags about his ROTC service time at... <laughs> Well, that's basically the same thing. Yeah, you know? yeah and the uh, trials he had trying to find tough a challenge. Day. <laughs> tough day there. We, we, that kegger was hell. Yeah, it was tough, man. Tough, tough, man. Yeah, I had to shine my shoes one night. Yeah. Yeah, but I worked in a laboratory um, up in uh, Cambridge Research Labs at Hanscom Air Force Base in Massachusetts. I Four years in the Air Force, never was assigned to an Air Force base that had a runway, never saw an airplane, and uh, <laughs> went to the missile school at Lowry Air Force Base and never saw a missile. How about so, that? Well, Yeah, I was research and development. Funny thing is high-altitude uh, surveillance. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. Chinese balloon looked real interesting. I bet it did. I bet it did. Yeah, I bet it did. Well, Jim, we're coming up on the end of the show. we got just about a minute left, and we cannot express our thankfulness to you for being here with us today yes, what an so incredible much. story you must be so proud to be I the am. son of such a son of such a great mom and a great dad and and uh, uh what an what yes. an incredible story so if you want to find out more about uh the story about the indianapolis you can get the book called indianapolis or the book called in harm's way those are both available, I'm sure, on Amazon and all I'm the other books. I'm buying the last one in hardcover yeah. right now. Oh, oh we gosh. They already got it. Before we slip out of here, we, have, uh, we, we have would a website be www.ussindianapolis.com. Oh, Perfect. that's amazing. Perfect. We'd be amiss if we did not say happy birthday to the Navy tomorrow. Oh, the Navy's so, birthday tomorrow. So it's tomorrow. the Navy's birthday. Happy birthday, squids. Hey, Jim, thank you so much Thanks, for Jim. being our guest. Well, and uh, Appreciate it. You've yeah. been listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together. It's on WSIC. Oh, That's news, news talk oh now. 18 bucks right there, baby. Bucks.